From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 27. Wow. My name is uh, Brando. With me, again, is my partner in Perfect Crime, Scotto, comma, Ian. What's going on, handsome? I missed you. <laughs> oh, that was a... Uh... That wasn't very creative. This oh, one. <laughs> you usually right. usually have something you concocted. All right, but uh, it's fine. But the, no, thank you. All uh, right, fine. I'll, never, as, I'll just call you ugly from now on. As for what is going on mm-hmm. uh, after we recorded you and I, because we did an episode um, with John. But after we recorded two weeks ago, mm-hmm. you didn't get to come with me. I did invite you, but I yeah, saw Terminator w- 2 and 3D. Holy yes. shit. Yeah, I, I, awesome. we, we did that live episode from the uh, South Rep Studios. And yep. uh, I actually regret not going with you to go see Terminator 2 and 3D. I had a, I don't even know why I had to get up early the next You're like, I, I have to clean my house. I'm like, all right. Oh, yeah, because I had a girl coming over. <laughs> all right, that was the reason, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but so how was so it? So did you see any action? Because then it was... <laughs> Well, I told you I regret not going with you, right? There you go. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so how was it in three D? Was it, how was hearing? Uh, you know, you could be mine in three D. See that? Well, yeah. You, it, it's so funny to say hear this song in three D, which I know. I know it doesn't make it. any sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was so cool seeing that on the big screen. Um, hearing the song, of course. I mean, it's such a classic. So that's why it ties into the podcast a little bit. But the three when Budnick, uh, I don't know if you get his name in the uh, in Eddie T2. Furlong's uh, uh, friend. Yeah, but Budnick and salute to shorts. The uh, the other the yeah, redheaded yeah. guy when he's just on the, the bike playing from the yeah. blue box. Love it, love it, love it, love it. So anyway. cool. No, and and the three D transfer. You know, because you you wonder if it's going to come out well because it's such an old movie. But they're able to do just really awesome things it looked like the movie was meant to be made in 3d all um, right i don't know if it's happening uh you know uh, is it a, a worldwide it, thing because i know select theaters here in new york i know it was national but it's over so i would highly recommend it but if you missed it you missed it and it was it was awesome it was worth the ridiculous uh price of a movie because with the whole 3d thing it was like yeah, that's eighteen dollars or something. That's New Too York much. City. Well, yes, but it was great. I I really enjoyed it. It was one of the best like movie going experiences for me because I'm not a big movie guy, but I knew like I Terminator Two just seeing it in a theater is going to be something else, and then the 3D transfer is awesome. So I I really enjoyed it. Um, and then as we mentioned on the show uh, two shows back or the last show I was on. Um, kind of from the Brando the, and Scotto live era episode, yeah. uh, the title of our episode from the um, promotion that they were doing, I guess, for this 3D thing. We learned that according to Arnold, he picked You Could Be Mine mm-hmm. for the movie. He got to see them record the Use Your Illusions albums and said, like, this is the perfect song. So if that's really the story, he did a great job because. I don't. I don't think you could have picked a better song. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect, and it's one of those movies that I can still watch today. But uh, I oh, would... and, and sorry, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, no, one last thing on that is for anybody who owns the Welcome to the Videos. That's the one video that's not on there because I'm guessing that's they right. couldn't have they they couldn't get the. Um, if I had to guess, I've never seen this for a fact, but they probably couldn't get the rights for the Terminator footage because they had Terminator footage in there. Right. That's my guess. 
You would like to think so. If it's a Guns N' Roses, welcome to the videos. I'm curious the story behind that. All right. Well, that would be... Uh, I'll look into that. Because I would think you'd have to pay royalties then to Arnold Schwarzenegger, to, you know, James Cameron and... I guess. I don't know how it works. I'd just be pulling uh, information out of my ass. Which I am, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can expose that. Oh, and also briefly, just speaking of movies, I saw It last night. Yeah. Uh, I can't compare it yet to the original. I'm not giving any spoilers, uh, regardless of when you listen. But if you saw the original, of course, there's the young kids version. There's the adult version. They're doing the same thing, just in two different movies. So I would judge it when it's you know after the sequel but still great which the original was made a for tv right a mini series yeah i actually remember watching it and i was speaking of like videos uh on, on two vhs tapes i remember watching I remember the, that. The, the original it uh but i spoke about it with john last episode that we did i saw lady gaga since i saw you yeah um i will say and i'll maybe get your opinion on it i think guns and roses ruined me for every band ever that's true because obviously i was very excited to see gaga i want to you know have her children uh, I sat more or less in the same kind of vicinity that I sat. Or you want her to have your children? You heard me correctly. You heard me correctly. That's funny. Uh, I more or less sat in the same vicinity, not where I sat for Axel DC, like where I was like right there, but you know, um, wherever you are in the world, like the mezzanine kind of, you know, you're far but you away. You saw this at City Field, and Axel DC Fe- was MSG, right? But yeah. it was like the same distance. Gotcha. Uh, well, I saw Guns N' Roses at where the Giants play because you know uh, it's NFL Sunday. Um, and where Guns just came out, and everyone, when you've, you've seen them, uh, they, they're just nonstop over three hours. Uh, first of all, Gaga pulled almost an, an axle. She didn't come on until 10 o'clock. We were, everyone was getting really antsy. I'm like, what is going on here? Were there openers? Uh, a, a really shitty DJ. Okay. Uh, that's all I'll say. Uh, I think he's a, her producer, but he was really bad. Uh, and... Then she would take breaks, and of course Axel does the, you know, he ch- changes outfits. But, but he's got the full band The full going. band. So when she would have part of her band come out, it was great. But when she would have these little vignettes up there of her doing some avant-garde thing, you know, it's cool, but it takes me out of the moment, you know, or it's, I'm not, not as excited. I don't know, my mood kept going up and down, or I wasn't sure where it was going to go, where with Guns N' Roses, it was nonstop. Yeah. So that I that was a major takeaway. She's great. Recommend seeing her to anybody. But I think just G and R just spoiled me. I'm I'm in the same boat with you. Uh, there's really no live band that compares to them. Although uh, up there for me was seeing Van Halen with David Lee Roth the last time I saw them. Yes, that was, no, that, was that was great. No, it was our, even though it's not the same David Lee Roth, he doesn't. <laughs> no one's the same. Yeah. Uh, no one's, there's something we we've we've spoken about. You know, ad nauseum. Here and we'll continue to. And I will say with Gaga, I am looking forward to that documentary on Five Foot Two. That's, co- that's yeah. coming out on Netflix. I yes. think that'll. It's like later this month. I believe so. I think she just had her premiere. Not that I'm following her like a stalker, but <laughs> I want to uh, check that out. Though I I love no, music look, documentaries and all that stuff. And yeah, like even Duff's documentaries on uh, Netflix. Yeah, uh, I want to see more. I, I want no continue it before I derail you. No, I was just gonna say even for uh, just general music fans, when you watch that whole lifestyle, which I'm sure they're going to get into based on what, what I've seen of going on tour, getting ready to go on stage. It, it's it's not it's not dissimilar from the way that Axl Rose probably lives. And it's just such a strange lifestyle and something that's foreign to us. We're used to like getting up, going to our job every day, nine to five type thing. And they're all over the world um, playing shows and right. waking up to to do a gig late at night and doing promotion for the gig. So like, I, I like learning about that stuff. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, and right now we're getting called by Art Tavana live on the air on my cell phone. <laughs> Art Tavana, you're on speaker. 
Hey, bud. How's it going? Good. Uh, do you still want to do the episode? <laughs> do you want to do it on Skype? I can't because I only have them, I only have my phone and I have to. Oh, oh, we we do, we do not have to. Uh, I will have give you. Um, I'll have you call back. I'll give you a number because we're recording now. I wasn't sure, so we'll make this part of the show. Cause this is hilarious. Uh, so you know, Artivana, our buddy, we'll talk to him in a second. So let me just give you uh, the number to call, okay, buddy? So joining us now on the real phone, so you can hear him not through my speaker cell phone, a Art, uh, and it's, it's Art, it's uh, Art Devana. What's going on, buddy? What's up, guys? How's it going? Good. Um, we were, I think, uh, is, is Art a, a, a co-host this episode, or what I'm going to start to do is when you're a buddy like Art Devana or John Miller, I'm going to start referring to you as Bad Apples. And Brando is answering the phone. Yes, because Kevin's on. Hold on. One oh, second, all right. Kevin. Let's get right into that then. This really is sounding like live radio, even though it's a podcast. Oh, yeah. I kind of dig it. Um, so if, if Kevin is on, I will uh, wait till I hear him and then give him an intro. Kevin, you, you there? there? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, awesome. So this is cool. So Art, I'm glad you called now because uh, mm. now we have. So Art, you're in L.A., correct? Yes, sir. And we're in Tribeca, New York City. And now we go across the pond, way across the pond, yep. to Ireland. Yeah, to Northern Ireland. To Kevin Pryor. So uh, I'll give Kevin an intro. Kevin Pryor is a guitarist and vocalist, also a guitar shop owner, um, currently working on a book and a solo album, which we can get into. And you could follow Kevin on Twitter at Sir Kev P. Um, you know what's the first thing that I think we'll get into before well, you know all the projects? It needs to be set up, yeah, like sure. a, a little bit because Kevin reached out to us a few months ago, and just like how many of you have, and it's been great. We've got a lot of new listeners since the uh, the Raz Q episode and then the live episode, so we appreciate everyone from all across uh, the world. But Kevin inboxed us wanting to be a guest, and you know this isn't what, what is this, Larry King? City, Florida. Hello. If you have a great story, <laughs> you know, you want to come on the show, awesome. You yeah. know, the fact that someone's listening to us in Ireland is awesome. You know, we I mentioned uh, Anna from Portugal. That's awesome. Art Tavana. I mean, like, I, Art's my, I have his phone number. We're BFFs now. And he found <laughs> us. He found us on SoundCloud. Yeah. We, we never yeah, would have yeah. met otherwise. So this is just, these are, now we're all on the phone talking about Guns N' Roses we not, would not have met otherwise, including you, Ian, you and I. Even yeah, though that's true. We both were, so it's, that I just do want to mention, but uh, I was like, well, you know, what's your story, Kevin? And you're like, I'm just a guy, you know, I'm just a <laughs> dude. So yeah. I, you know, I want to hear your story because when Art also tweeted out that he's, you know, he will come out with uh, the ultimate Guns N' Roses book. Kevin, you're also working on one, yeah. so that's also, I mean, you've been involved in our Twitter timeline a lot so it's just very cool to say yeah. hi or top of, no it's not top in the morning because it's it's four o'clock here in nyc as we're recording this on september uh 10th yeah. and thank you jinx buy me a coke <laughs> uh it's nine o'clock where you are it's nine o'clock yep just past nine all right so uh is and there is, it's so it's sunday night nine o'clock is there anything you're missing is there anything good on tv uh jesus no no <laughs> i was actually just I, I was sitting playing guitar for the last couple of hours and just watching shit on YouTube, so nice. whatever. All right. Well, nice to see you have a lot of friends and keeping you busy. My mess is away up to see her family, so I'm, I'm kind of on my own some today. So. Okay. So All right. Very good. Cool. Cause, uh, as Sorry, we're... Go. Sorry, man. On you go. 
No, it, it's all good because I know we got a lot of uh, voices, but we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. We will figure. You know, uh, I think as GNR added more and more people to the stage, I think that's what we're doing now with the microphones. So I want to get. Yeah, it'll be like a Chinese democracy podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should have a spin-off uh, podcast just for Chinese democracy. I think we would be the only ones who would listen to it. So, you know, we got Art's uh, reasons for writing the book. You know, he feels there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Uh, but what's yeah. your... I, you know what? Tell us a little bit about, like, oh, is this where you're going to start, Ian? Like, you know, oh, well, no. The first thing, to be yeah. honest, that I was going to start with um, is, and what we'll definitely get into the book, but... The fact that you got to see Izzy Stradlin's last live show, I think that's pretty fascinating, and uh audience yeah. would probably want to hear about that. Yeah, I, I was only a kid at the time. Um, I, I was nine years old, and my dad got corporate tickets, and he always kind of, he got me into like, going to rock concerts and stuff like that, so I would have saw Jethro Tull and all these 70s bands that he liked at the time at that age, and then when I found Guns, I suppose it was it was my jam, and you know, uh, me and my dad didn't really get along well, so I think it was one of those like, okay, uh, I'll get you tickets to this concert. So it was like a baptism of fire. <laughs> at the same time, it's a little bit, it's a bit regrettable because of the age I was, you know, I wasn't really into it. And, and like, I, I didn't know the songs. In fact, nobody knew the songs because the illusions hadn't come out yet or anything like that. For me, it was just, it was the spectacle of it. And I think I just, I, I, fell in love with East Rival on that day, you know, there, there, was, there was something that happened then, and then, of course, he left a few months later, and that, that completely destroyed me. So I've, I've, I've always been very bitter of a lot of lineups after, just because of Izzy's absence, but, yeah, I still love him, you know. What what was that show that was the last show, by the way? Uh, it was Wembley. It was Wembley in London, so I, wow. I grew up in Scotland, so it was easy just to, to drive down at the time, you know. Now that we know one of your GNR stories, let's find out about who Sir Kevin is. I want to find, <laughs> I want to find out because uh, you, you know, we bond a little because you said your grandma's from Brooklyn, though. Yeah. Yeah, my, my grandma's from Brooklyn. Uh, she she was born and raised in Bushwick. Uh, okay. In 1929, I think. Uh, yeah, it was 1929. She was born there. So I've always had this affinity for New York City as well. But as I said, I grew up in, in Glasgow, Scotland. Have you been here before? Yeah, I, I lived out in New York, uh, 2002, 2003. So okay. I, I spent a lot of time there. Uh, I was out there with a band I was with at the time and just doing the usual, working in Irish bars and then trying to get gigs wherever the hell I could. What about, uh, out, in, what about out in L.A. with, like, his art and all the hipsters? Were you out, were you out there? No, I've, I've, I've never actually been out there. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think I've got too much New York blood flowing through my veins. Okay, because so Art loves L.A., <laughs> right? Yeah. I, no, I love L.A. I just don't like the, you know, I like the suburbs. I don't like the city. Hey, Kevin, why, how come you're writing a book? What are you writing a book? What's your, like, incentive or reason for writing a book? I'm I'm writing a book. I mean, obviously... The, the one you're doing is something I'm completely looking forward to because it's there is a lot of misconceptions and things out there. I'm not writing a book about the band. You know, it's not going to be, oh, and then Izzy met Chris and then all this kind of stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's strictly from a fan's point of view. It's called Bad Obsession. And I go through song by song and from being a band at such a young age, how the meanings of each song has kind of changed for me as I've got older. I'm 35 now. So mm-hmm. it's, it's more like a, a journey from a fan's point of view. And then being a musician, I go into kind of the musicality of each song and 
and, and things like that. That is the stuff that's not been done before, but it's, it's strictly from a, a fan's point of view. It's not like a, a biography of, of any sort. So it's like revolution in the head, but for the Guns N' Roses, kind of? Yeah, kind of. It's just it's strictly a, a personal journey. I like you know, that. And uh, the, the big one's cool. So, yeah. It gives a different that's viewpoint, that's, and that's something I kind of want to do, as you know, I mentioned before with Anna from Portugal, or and uh, like us, we're all fans, you know, with this to get a fan's yeah. story, a, a, pan, a fan's point of view. So I want to start doing the, like these fan spotlight episodes because I like how you know you just presented yourself. Hey, I'm just a guy. You weren't like, hey, I'm in this band in Ireland because that's my Irish accent right there. Uh, so, <laughs> so what is part of your journey? How did uh, GNR touch you, or? Well, that that made it sound really inappropriate. Like, what? How do they emotionally touch you? So, like, what what is part of your journey? What's your story? Uh, well, the, the, this is where I bring it right down. I actually recently posted this on my GNR because I, I knew I was coming on here to say about it anyway. But uh, when I said earlier about my dad, you know, getting me those tickets to kind of make up for stuff, he he used to be a kind of like violent drunk, mm-hmm. and uh, used to come home at night, and he would basically pick either me, my mum, or my sister. He, kick the shit out of for, for want of a much better term but yeah. I, I got through it because I used to lie under my bed listening to Guns N' Roses and it was the only it was the only thing I had access to that was as angry as I think I was as a child um, so from from that point on it was just that they've always been very very important to me emotionally yeah. you know in terms of getting that escape so I, I think that's what took me any music in the long run was just as long as you know the whole cliche as long as someone else gets what I got out of it kind of thing so yeah it's all got to do with that what about uh, GNR uh, A obviously that, that sucks I'm sorry you know but, uh, but you don't need me to say that yeah well well as I said I, I, had, a, I had a copy of Appetite for Destruction so it was guns that got me to escape that you know CD or cassette um, I just want to kind of you know paint oh, a picture this is cassettes okay this is when I was a kid Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it was a, a copy. Um, my friend then then the, the street gave to me, and it was the usual. Because guns said fuck and all that kind of stuff when we were kids, you know, you you would kind of hide your G and R cassettes from your parents. You would label them something else, like <laughs> or something, you know. Yeah. So, it, it kind of got through it, and then uh, whenever I moved, my my whole family tried to stay together. So my dad moved us to Belfast uh, in Northern Ireland at that point. And uh, it was when the troubles were just kind of simmering down here, so it wasn't that bad. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I just I, from from an early age, I, I started playing guitar at eleven. I think I played my first gig when I was sixteen, and yeah, that Jesus, that'll be twenty years next year. So I've, I've just, I've just, I've not had major success as a musician, as you know, but I've been lucky enough to. I've partied with guys in GNR, you know, I've partied with Stephen Adler, of of supported Tracy Guns and hung out with him quite a bit I've played festivals with Mike Monroe and guys like that so it's as a fan it's it's been absolutely amazing just having the opportunity to you know see it from the outset kind of thing get involved and have have a good chat with these guys you know what was it like you know uh, having all these memories that are never going to leave you you know you know when you see you know someone for, like Adler for the first time like hey you know kind of imagining yourself as a kid uh, and you know, when listening yeah. to his drum parts, and like, what does that do to you mentally? Are you just like, hey, it's Stephen Adler, or does it take you to a different place? Seeing Adler was the strangest thing because at the time there was this bar in Belfast called the Rosetta, 
And the first time he was over, I wasn't in the band yet, but uh, my old band Twisted Rose supported them. That's, that's how I got to know the guys. So I was hanging out with the guys there, and it was like, Stephen's partying, come on, we'll go and party. And it was just, if you know the bar, it's not even in the centre of the city. It's way out on a house and estate, and it's not even there anymore. It's a supermarket now. But it was a complete shithole, and this, this was the height of Stephen... Fucking up, really, in terms of being out there on his own, you know. Uh, he still played like an absolute demon, but the the guy was snorting Jägermeister backstage, <laughs> like actually snorting it through his nose. And he's he, he's offering you this, and he's... It was just... It was a complete mess, so it was kind of... Looking back on it, it was a little bit messed up mm. at the time. It was just... It was fantastic to be able to talk to him, but it's, at any time I meet these guys... I, I'm kind of like art in the respect where I just ask, I, I badger them about Izzy. Oh, okay. I'm such an Izzy Stradlin fan, you know, so mm-hmm. I, ju- I, I, I just want to know as much about Izzy Stradlin as I can because there's not there's not enough out there and that's why Art's piece was so refreshing. Izzy is such, okay. he's such an enigma. It's, it's crazy that there's absolutely nothing. A lot of fans don't even know who the hell he is. A lot of fans are thinking Richard's him. A lot of fans once upon a time thought Gilby was him. Mm-hmm. And it, it sucks because I know I know from a guitar perspective and from a fan's perspective how important he was. And this whole reunion thing, the fact he's absent, for me, that's, that's just the final nail in the coffin in mm-hmm. terms of I don't think anyone will ever know who the hell is he is, you know? And it's, it sucks. It sucks as a fan. I've got a lot of respect for the guy. That's interesting. It's funny because some someone wrote a book a few years ago. I think it was like 2000 and I think 2010. Someone wrote a book called Dust and Bones. I think it was, God, what was the guy's name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one ever saw the book. That's the one, that's, that's the one Jimmy Ashurst done the interviews for and then totally. He read it. He had, he had to buy his own copy as far as I know. That's, that's how much it sucked, even though he contributed. Um yeah, it was just all sensationalism and lies and just someone trying to cash in on the name at the time, you know? Hmm. Which is funny, which is basically everything that's ever been written about, like, even the Mick Wall books, which I've read, all of them, even the new one. And so it's just like, I feel like people, when they write about Guns N' Roses, these, like, people who aren't real fans, they tend to just kind of write, you know, make up quotes, pull history from, like, yeah. Google searches. Right. It's very lazy bullshit, and they just, all they want to do is get, like, the attention of Axl Rose and maybe get a lawsuit and then use that mm-hmm. for, like, publicity or something. Yeah. It's so stupid and pathetic. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, That's I, it. I think I've always said this, and this is why Guns N' Roses did such a good thing with their, with their surprise show at the Troubadour. It was only fans. And I remember standing there, and I had this ticket in my hand, and I had a wristband, and, like, Rolling Stone, Vice, all these people were being turned away at the door. It didn't matter if you were this big journalist guy. They didn't give a shit. They didn't, they didn't care who you were. All they wanted was their fans inside. And if you're a celebrity and you weren't yeah. a fan, they weren't letting you in. It was just, you know, that's the thing. That's what fans should be writing about this. Fan. That's what you're doing is so cool because you're doing something that people should, every fan should write their story about why they love this band because mm-hmm. these stupid, these snob, elitist journalists in their fucking <laughs> offices in Brooklyn, no offense, New York. <laughs> I love you, Art. <laughs> don't even know anything about Guns N' Roses. Like, they just sit there with their fucking, like, lattes and they watch, like, you know, CNN or MSNBC and, like, drool <laughs> over Rachel Maddow and shit and then write about Guns N' Roses. Like, no, sorry. 
It doesn't make any sense. You know, know it's, like it's very. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's 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 something that angers me a lot as well. Whenever I'm out, you know, and I, I, I've I've been asked in interviews as well before when you know I've been touring across Hyde Mary, you know, so who's your biggest influence and stuff? And you're talking to these rock journalists, and you say, oh, guitar wise, definitely Izzy Stradlin. And right. the fact that they're looking at you like what? But they've probably got an appetite T-shirt with that guy's skull at the top of it mm-hmm. in the house, you know. And then they're looking at you like who? And it's just oh, it's something that's <laughs> always got you. Yeah, and he was one of the primary got... songwriters. Yeah, and people yeah. people definitely fail to realize that. So, what drew you to Izzy? Yeah. Was it uh, his persona? Was it his songwriting? What specifically? Because you're a guitar player, it could easily be Slash, right? Yeah, it, it, it could easily be slash. At, I think at a very young age, uh, it, it was it was all based on cool, you know. <laughs> I think I, I've, I've, I've always said the reason I ended up smoking, I've quit now, is because of the age I am. My, my bedroom walls was Reservoir Dogs and Guns and Roses, and you know, it, 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 it was it was it was guys with shades and cigarettes, and I'm I'm walking about fucking rainy Ireland with shades on. You know, I want to play Steelers Wheel right now. There's an Izzy Stradlin version play. Oh, yeah. 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 I think that was his big dig at the, the reunion thing. Ian, you weren't on uh, the last episode, but Raz, and I've heard this from everybody, Izzy's just the coolest guy. And Raz met yep. him like way, you know, obviously before Guns N' Roses happened. And it's just, it's just cool. It's awesome to see that's like a consistent story, no matter what time period it is, no matter where in the world it is. Aaron Izzy is like uh, Joe Camel. He's just uh, Mr. Cool. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly what Steve told me as well, you know, the, the first thing I asked about him. And, and Tracy as well. Tracy used to live with him. And he was, he was just talking about how, how he's the coolest guy he's ever known. So it, it just seems to be across the board. He's always got that James Dean kind of thing going on. So someone famously said that years ago. Um, yeah, he just has it. But in terms of guitar playing, he's seriously underrated. Seriously underrated. Everybody's like, right. oh, I can't hear guitar and stuff like that. But Izzy's the guy that made the drums sound like the drums were playing notes. He's so syncopated and tight. You know, it's, right. it's not showboating or anything. There's a hell of a lot goes into what he does. But, you know, it's neither here nor there in terms of the mainstream. Yeah, he doesn't get the credit because he never was a showman the way Slash was. And also, like, the thing about Izzy was, in the interviews, everything he's ever said, or whenever he's been you know, interviewed in a magazine, the rare times he's done video interviews, he never really talked about his playing in, like, a very like intricate, detailed way. I don't think he ever did, like, a Guitar World interview where he talked about, he talked about, like, how he's influenced by the Ramones growing up or, mm-hmm. you know, the Sex Pistols and shit like that. But he never really got into his you know, his, like, actual guitar work in a very deep way, whereas, like, you know, all the other guitar players that were responsible for all the great songs we've heard over the years, like Jimmy Page and stuff, did. And I think that's another thing about Izzy, that that's why I really wanted to interview him was, and I never could, but was I want to talk to him about his guitar playing. I want to talk to him about the guitars he owns, his his technique, his changes over the years, everything, you know, his finger work, every, all that kind of shit. And he never does. He never yeah. does. It. It's a shame. And that's the one tragedy of his, sort of mystique of being this outlaw who doesn't want to talk to anybody is that he's sort of the fans have, and the fans in the history books have lost kind of the connection with his playing that I think he's buried himself, which is unfortunate. I think. Could you say yeah, the same thing I about, thought... um, like almost compare a little bit to Axel as far as 
he just he never would speak about maybe his his singing process or you know because there was a lot. I still feel like Axel though he'll say his influences and stuff because as Art was saying, if when Izzy will say I'm influenced by the Sex Pistols, the Ramones, like these are not guitar virtuosos by any means. No, no. And so (laughs) Axel would you know he always say Elton John and all these things. So you got a vibe of you know he's a guy who I know has been known to listen to a band like Wasp, but can also listen to Elton John, and you can kind of hear that. You could hear there's a mashup between all these different styles. So with Izzy, yeah, you do wonder who his guitar influences are because these punk rock bands, like they're like I said, definitely not guitar gods. I guess I'm also comparing it a little bit to uh, technique. I want to know like how R wants to know the technique. We want to, but same thing with Axel. What's the technique of him singing? That's, yeah. I think that's uh, oh, yeah. that's fascinating. But that was just a random thought uh, of mine. But, but it's like Keith Richards. You know, he's done so many interviews. He's done so many books. We've talked about the blues and every single guitar player he ever listened to. Mm-hmm. And he even talks about his riffs, like what his riffs were kind of coming, where they were coming from, what kind of blues records he was playing with, with, with uh, Mick and all that. I think he could do something like that. But also, you know, it's, it's just like also then there's the thing of, you know, and I think you guys would make this have made this point before. It's like the reason he's so kind of revered and talked about, and there's so much buzz around this guy who really wasn't like technically a genius. He was a genius in terms of songwriting and like the feeling he brought to the to the instrument. Just the same way Richards was. I mean, Keith Richards wasn't a technical guitar playing genius. He yeah. never was. He never. But he was the guy that was able to create these like riffs they will never forget and right. put together chord structures that were like made catchy songs out of like stuff that was going to be could have been just this boring blues song that's that's what izzy was able to do but i mean i I think you should talk about it one day hopefully he will well i've said it before art i mean of all the guys who have played guitar and guns and roses as much shit as he got buckethead technically Mm -hmm. would be the best guitarist that's played with them i think you know bumblefoot is up there too technicality it doesn't necessarily matter you know i think to the average fan they want to hear great songs they want to hear catchy riffs uh, and just memorable music. And, you know, right. the, the riffs that Izzy created, that Slash created, they might not be the most technical, but they're more memorable. And I'm saying this objectively because I love Chinese democracy, but, you know, you right. there's nothing on Chinese democracy that compares to that main riff from Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. It, it gets stuck in your head like that. Uh, wait, I'm, I'm curious, Kevin, as a guitar player, what you think of, uh, of Buckethead? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if if you take if if you're just gonna if you're gonna cut out the second lead guitar and take the most technically proficient guitar players lead and rhythm that GNR have ever had, it's Buckethead and Richard, without a doubt. But they're not the right guys for GNR. They're not GNR. You know, it's it, it, there's a lot that Izzy does. A lot of rhythm guitar players, like if you look at Malcolm Young, he stays down the low end of the fretboard. It's a lot of cardy stuff, and he's putting out the cards behind what Angus is doing. Izzy was all over the fretboard, even in the first the first three things he does in Welcome to the Jungle, takes you all the way up it and all the way back down. The guy is seriously, seriously underrated, and I'm I'm always arguing with guys on my GNR saying, you know, but Rich is so much better than Izzy, and I'm like, yeah, well, Bucket was so much better than Slash, but was he the right guy? Yeah. No. Yeah, there's, there's definitely truth to that. Yeah, and, and even, you know, so Axel could still sing, but we often talk about these bands where, you know, the lead singer just doesn't have what they, they had at one time and they're still touring. But people just want to see those original members. There's something about seeing that magic there. So I get it. It's not about 
who who is the best player sometimes it's just about you want to see yeah. these guys who created this thing that you love and that you grew up with so yeah i think people would love to see izzy back on that stage is it going to happen i mean look they've been touring for over a year now at this point and there's been no sign of him making even a one-off appearance we've asked uh arts obviously when the episode after he did uh the the izzy article specifically since he, you know, Izzy was with the new guns, Axel Roses, Roses and Roses, as Dee Snyder called it. Yeah. And then uh, Izzy was also with Velvet Revolver. So, I mean, there's a relationship there. Why not now? And I think we asked um, from Metal Sludge. Oh, uh, Steve Rochelle. Yeah. And we spoke about this at, uh, a lot, too, that it, it's not just dividing the money. It's dividing, like, the, the direction of the band or, you know, just a lot of other factors that go into it. And also he made a point, which I hated to agree with him, is he hasn't done anything uh, as far yeah. as keeping up this brand. You know, he hasn't kept up his brand, but he's created a ton of no, music. Right. Yeah. Well, of course. Which, which I yeah. think that part of it, too, is I think if Izzy was to tour with Guns N' Roses... I think he'd want to see some original material. Like, I don't think he'd be willing the way Slash and Duff are to go up there and do sort of a greatest hits type set. Yeah. I think he'd want, he seems to be a creative person who wants to, you know, keep making new music and keep being an artist. And these right. guys, you know, as much as they like making new music, they seem pretty content up there just playing the hits and, and some a covers. lot of covers. Oh, so yeah, that's a and, lot of covers. And a few now. songs off Chinese. Yeah. So then, Kevin, what do you think then? What, what do you feel is the reason? As someone I, who's, I, you know, devoted. We've, we've heard it from, from so many different things. We've heard Stephen say, you know, as he wants it without the keyboard players, he wants it to just be the five. Mm. Uh, we've heard Axel doing, oh, it's Izzy just being flimsy and stuff like that. And then something that nobody ever points out, Duff said before the reunion, after he'd done that EP with Izzy and Jerry Cantrell for his book, mm. it, it said in some some interview that, you know, he, he hopes to be playing music with Izzy for the rest of his life and stuff. So I can't imagine they're in good books anymore. I, I personally think Izzy wanted back into the partnership it was never going to happen, and he, he does want to create new music, but yeah. he wants to level it. He doesn't want to be out there playing Estranged and This I Love and all, and it's, it's hard to even imagine him playing the Chinese stuff, and mm. it's not from a technicality. The, the rhythm guitar in those songs are bare bones. I mean, if Paul fucking Tobias can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> mm, that's a bit of a shot there. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not a guitar well, player, so I don't know. I don't know. I guess that made me laugh regardless. <laughs> it's, it, 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 there's so many layers on them. You can just pick one and just go with it, you know. Okay. <laughs> carry off the song. I, I, I think it's great what what Slash and Duff are doing with it. I still think it's a bit strange. It is. I, I, I think Izzy wants Guns and Roses back, and what what we're presented with now is it's just an extension of the Illusion tour that he wasn't a part of. Instead of Gilby and Matt, we've got Richard and Frank. You know. That's an interesting and, analogy or a way to put it. That's yeah. Hmm. And, and and I also think, you know, back then they had one arsehole manager that they didn't like. Um, now there's like, they've all got a manager each. And Izzy, as far as I know, doesn't have management. So it would be hard to be in there arguing with Team Brazil and Duff's guy and Slash's guy and what should happen and what shouldn't happen and hmm. stuff. It's, it's, it's the background and the politics for, for Izzy. That must be so off-putting because I think the only thing he wants to do is go and play guitar and have a good time with friends. Hmm. Businesses were scaring them away, you know. Art, what do you think on that? 
uh, why Izzy's not in the band right now? Yeah, I, we've we've spoke about uh, that with you. I mean, you have you changed your your view? But I mean, what do you think about Kevin, what Kevin just said? Do you agree with that? I mean, I do to some degree. I mean, it's, it's complicated because no one knows, right? We, I mean, it's like trying to figure out the psychology of Izzy and Axel and the whole. The bottom line is that there's a there's like if you talk to people behind the scenes, they all say the same thing. It's all the same sort of consistent sort of story, which is that, you know, create, there are creative differences between Axel and Izzy. There are creative differences that can't be, you know, fixed. And Izzy, and that's the story behind, the, like, the people who know these guys. My thinking has always been, I don't think Izzy Stradlin wants to be part of, wants, does, he doesn't want a day job. Like, he doesn't want to wake up and be, okay, I got to be here at 5 o'clock. Yeah. I got to sound check at 4. I got to go to, like, the studio. I got to go to, like, Axel's. Axel expects us to be at this rehearsal thing. It's like he's not he's not he's not a worker bee kind of guy. I think Slash and Duff are really sort of tight professional guys who do this because you know they make a living doing it, and also it's just their thing. It's what they do. It's like Izzy's not that guy. Izzy wants to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it, and if he feels like going surfing one day, he'll go surfing one day. If he feels like going to Santa Monica to play random guitars and buy a pedal, he'll do that. If he feels like going to Indiana and hang out with his family. He'll do that. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be anywhere at any time. So that's the reason, in my opinion. I think Andy Strauss just doesn't want to do all that shit. And also, you know, if he's gonna do it, he wants to get the same amount of money as Axl Rose. Do it. Yeah, I mean, we can only judge him. I agree, and we can only judge him based on what he said on Twitter. He said it was about splitting the money. Yeah. So that that was his statement, and I agree with everything Art said. And and you know, part of being in a rock band at the level of Axl Rose slash is like you have your own individual brand. And even though the band currently is doing no media, at some point they might. We talked about that the last show I was on. Um, and you know, I, I think when they decide that you're going to see Axel or Slash go on shows like Eddie Trunk and and just do different media, and that's a part of the gig. And I don't think Izzy likes that part of the gig. I agree. He just wants to go yeah. up there, rock, make music, and uh, I don't I don't think he likes all the changes in lineup. And as you said, I think he wouldn't want to play these these songs that he wasn't a part of. So yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's. I don't, I don't think he cares about the changes in the lineup. He's played with Axel in that's true. the most kind of bastardized lineup you could think of. I don't think he right. cares about any. I, I really don't think he wants to just be on the road on a plane to go to a hotel. That's a good point. So he just do one show from his hometown. That's, yeah, you know? I do want to see a one-off. That's true. I mean, I feel like at the very least, I'd want to see a one-off, and and which is why it's still kind of weird that I'm not going to these MSG shows because I've said to you, if like if it just so happened that. Adler or Izzy came yeah. out. I, you know, and Adler is less exciting, but especially Izzy. Yeah, I would be kicking myself. But uh, know, right I now, know. if there's, if it's just going to be the exact same thing for the most part that I saw at Giant Stadium, I, I can't be enthusiastic enough to pay like a hundred fifty dollars for OK seats. Well, I did, uh, yeah. and I'm less enthused, but I'm still going. Sure, but I, but I admit I'm less enthused. I'm hoping there's something different and, and, other than the wichita lineman and black hole sun yeah and eddie <laughs> trunk made this point um you know he said that they the first tour they were doing stadiums now they're doing arenas you know albeit they're doing three nights at msg but at some point it is going to dwindle down unless they do something new unless there's they're, they're gonna have to put a new spin on things um if they want to keep doing this whether it's doing media as he said or you know changing around the lineup or doing new music yeah but at some point, if they're just going to keep doing a similar set, a greatest hits type set, um, 
Yeah, it'll dwindle down. It'll be, you know, like that Motley Crue last tour. We saw there was some enthusiasm. And Motley Crue is not as big a deal as Guns N' Roses, but we saw them do. Yeah, but we saw them, you know, a lot of enthusiasm for this final tour. And by the end of that tour, it, it I think the enthusiasm completely wore off. I mean, you heard Stevie Rochelle on our show say he was able to get seats to the, the last ever Motley Crue show on New Year's Eve for, I think, like 20 bucks or something. And that's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny I, I was at i was at the rainbow that night um right before they played i, I, I didn't get tickets to molly crew so i don't really give a shit about molly crew but i was at the, I was at the rainbow that night like having drinks with this friend of mine and there was this group of like girls or women I, I should say older women who were next to us who were getting ready, ready to go to see molly crew and like i just thought like this is like i don't know it was just so goofy talking to them about what why they like molly crew because i never i never figured it out i've never been a fan i enjoy the <laughs> You're talking. Like, to, all right, before you continue, don't forget. Uh, Ian has a Motley Crue tattoo. But Which continue. Artists, no, I know, I, I know, I know. I know <laughs> like the symbolic kind of thing about Motley Crue, like what they represent. Like, yeah. But their music itself, I cannot fucking not even for like ten minutes. There's a few albums I really like that are really like kind of exciting, like Doctor Feelgood, I guess, or whatever. But like, I just I don't get it. And then. Like, for somebody to spend a New Year's Eve and Motley fucking come on. Like, oh, I, I, I really regret that I didn't go, but no, I, I, I do get what you're saying because I do think Motley Crue, it was, it, it was probably more about the image than the music. I think he's correct on that. I mean, Motley Crue were the first like mainstream band to be tatted up, riding Harleys. Um, so yeah, it was a lot about what they represented and. I, I agree with Art, even as someone who loves Motley Crue, you go through those albums, there's a lot of corny songs yeah. on pretty much all of them. And Guns N' Roses, on the other hand, you listen to everything from Appetite yeah. to, in my opinion, Chinese Democracy. I agree. There's really not a lot of songs that you look back and, uh, I don't know, have, have, that, have that douche chill moment, I guess Just you would say. For me, yeah. Because, you <laughs> you know, you look, look listen back to Motley Crue and hear, like, Rattlesnake Shake. It's not a good song. You know? like, it's, it's silly. No. Uh, it's so it's I, a I, band that did not age well. And I, and I talked to Del James about this once, and I can't share what we talked about, but he basically told me, like, in, in you know, in a really longer kind of conversation that, like, Motley Crue was that band, and there's been a lot of bands like this over the years. But Motley Crue was that band that at the moment in like 1982 or 80, whatever the fuck was their peak. It was like, this band is so fucking cool. And then 20 years later, it was like every single person who was ever at those shows realized that that band was only cool because we're all like really high on coke. And, like, <laughs> and like that was like, and there was a lot of there was a lot of like blonde, half naked girls. And like, it was like the, the atmosphere made that band seem really amazing. But when you pull that band out of their like element and you put them as a musical entity on an arena tour where it's like 2017, it just seemed kind of goofy. Whereas I don't know if I would are, agree. When you, hold up though, when you say they have, I an feel age like that well, way about Kiss, by the way. Okay, yeah. I but when you say they haven't aged well, I would agree with some of it. However, there's certain songs that you still play today by Motley Crue. Like, dude, you go to a hockey game, basketball oh, game, sure. you'll still hear "Kickstart My Heart," "Doctor mm-hmm. Feel Good." <laughs> Dude, those are great songs, man. Wild great. side. Those, those Wild are side. same old situation. Yeah, those are songs don't that, go that, away that you mad. Uh, well, I, yeah, but I will say I what like was. Uh, well, yeah, don't go away, man. It's not bad. I was gonna say from Motley Crue here. They're not that. They're not as. They're not as well known as a lot of the bands from that time. I suppose it's just a different take being here in the UK. You know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, see, I don't know if I'd agree with that. I mean, I feel like in America they're the you know they're right, one they're of an American the most. Band. Uh, known, yeah, but yeah, they're, they're fairly American band. It's just, it's just in the UK. They're not really 
they're not really pullers. It's the same as Aerosmith. We we didn't really get Aerosmith until like wow. early 90s when they started doing the ballads, you know. But but to wrap up uh, about the aging wall, I will say okay. like a song like with you know without with, you sucks. like the ballads, yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's just so corny. So I will as a being completely objective, I would agree with Art. There are a lot. There's a lot of material that hasn't aged well, but there's a lot of material that's great. Um, and here's the crazy thing, man. There's certain stuff I love by them that the band itself hates. Um, you know, they've said before that they think the Theater of Pain album sucks, minus the singles on there. And I can listen to that album. I could listen to it start to finish, you know, all the time. It's it's a mainstay for me. So, I, I don't know, man. I guess just to each his own is my point. I love the John Karabi stuff. Oh, I love the John Karabi stuff. Mm-hmm. The John Karabi stuff's amazing. I love the production on that record. Great album. I, I, I play that a lot in the shop, you know. Art, have you ever well, listened to the John Karabi album? No, I haven't. I you know. might actually like the John Karabi album. You know, it's because I really do think start to finish that is a solid rock album that has aged well. Yeah. However, it's oh, just not. Oh, he's a guy that replaced Vince Neil. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would. I would never even. I would never even do that. Like, like, <laughs> Molly Crew with Alvy, like the original, like cool element, is like just that's even worse. But to me, Molly Crew was always like it's like Donald Trump, right? Like, <laughs> I, don't like I, love art. I don't like Donald Trump. I don't support Donald Trump. I would love to see Donald Trump like out of office and like just off the off the earth in some capacity. <laughs> but I really, really fucking love the people he he pisses off. I just love the and that's Molly Crew to me. I don't like Molly Crew, but I really love that they piss off like these like fourth wave feminists who are offended by everything or these like elite liberal, like fucking college professors who are like, Oh, you gotta listen to Radiohead or you don't know music. And they pissed off the music journalists at the time who were like, you know, the cure, Depeche mode. These are the bands you should be listening to. You know, they, they did think that it was like childish and and immature music. So yeah, I agree with you. I I I, I like everything about the image of the band. So I you know I get your point though. <laughs> you don't like everything about their image. Come on. <laughs> I do. That's that's too funny. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love it. But then uh, Kevin brought up an interesting point though, because uh, we're talking, of course, uh, here in New York, out in LA, so different coasts here in uh, the states, and uh, it's maybe different bands. You know, like Arch is probably um like Twisted Sister's not going to be as big by you as it, you know because they're from here, so everyone loves Twisted Sister. Right, so right. I, yeah. love Twisted, I love them, but yeah, I get it. They're not big enough. They're not really an LA band, it's, right? It's kind so, of, I think D. Snyder said some nasty shit about LA once, but although he lives in Venice, I saw him like writing his fucking like Harley or something in Venice. Once. I thought he moved to uh, Vegas. I think he did. Last time I saw him, I think he was in Venice. Maybe he moved. I don't know. Um, he's a very nice guy, actually. I, name drop. I met yeah. him once. That was, that was my first gig. Oh, it was to no, board up his show, right? Yeah, it was uh, Fangoria Radio with Dee Snyder. Nice, nice. But, Dude's uh, a hell of a singer. And I'll never forget, We're Not Gonna Take It, like in the Iron Eagle soundtrack, mm-hmm. was like the the most peak 80s, like rock and roll meets like bombs falling on like the Middle East. <laughs> it, was, it was fucking sick. It was a great... A twisted sister pin on your uniform! Yeah, anyway. What do you want to do with your life? So then uh, then Kevin was, if, if Motley Crue wasn't big there uh Aerosmith not until you said what the 90s they weren't prevalence where you because yeah. they you know obviously they're, they've been around since the 70s for us and had major hits awesome yeah, exactly. in the states exactly. so then yeah. what about guns or guns i mean obviously for you yes but then overall because i like i that's what we're doing here we're trying to talk to fans all across the world so what's the guns and roses welcome when they come? 
they've, they've been massive since day one. Since day one. Yeah. Since uh, since he broke broke through MTV, just yes, yeah, since day one. Whereas it's like I said, at Aerosmith, no one really knew about here because there wasn't much put out here until uh, they had their guessing deal, and it was all it was all the ballads and and big ones came out. I think that was ninety four. Right. <laughs> big one. That was a great album. I that's pretty yeah. interesting, though, because nowadays it doesn't matter if you have a big distribution deal just because of the Internet. You know, people discover things, though I do remember, okay. um, and this is totally off the topic of rock and roll, but, you know, on the topic of what's big, where uh, my friend Leslie went to school in the U.K. for a while, you know, years ago. And I remember him coming mm. back and being like, you got to check out the stuff dubstep, like dubstep is the big thing in the U.K. And it was years until it broke through in the U.S., and I was like, holy shit, this is the first kid mm, yeah. to ever tell me about dubstep. So, like, in the U.K., it was big, I think, five or so years before anyone heard about it in America. Mm. It actually also makes me think, and I know this is going to make Art very happy, the first time I heard about Lord was people from uh, the, from the West Coast, and then she broke everywhere. I like Lord. Art does not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Royals, Royals was basically a song about, like, Los Angeles. Even though she's not from here, that song was basically about what it's like to, you know, be poor. Yeah. Rel- relatively average looking to ugly girl in Los Angeles. But I mean, I, think, uh, <laughs> I, like, I don't dislike Lord. I do think she's boring and I don't understand the sort of massive following. She has. she should just be like this indie, you know, underground pitchfork girl who plays like the small venues, like the echo in LA or whatever, you know, you guys have in New York now since everything's being like closed down, but like, yeah. she's like really, you know, she's indie and kind of fun in that weird depressing kind of way. If you like post-punk or think Ian, whatever if you think joy division is cool or whatever but like i don't i don't get the whole like oh my gosh she's like the, the future of pop music she's redefining the genre she's david bowie for depressed no that's a little fans. that's a little far i mean she's very talented and i like her music but i mean i i don't know you're, i think you're surrounding yourself with like the most extreme views of things he is a journalist I'm is true fucking I'm surrounding myself with music editors who are the dumbest fucking people. In the country. That's the problem. <laughs> well, That's it's the problem. in addition to giving like someone like Kevin a, a voice now, we're giving people like Art a voice. So it's you know, so you can rant and rave. Uh, you know, it's a little sometimes it's it's easier or more fulfilling to do that by by yelling uh, rather than just writing very you know, hard on the paper and stamping it down <laughs> or typing very hard. You know, so uh, this is your outlet. No one even lets me write anymore. They're all afraid of this shit. The shit I'll say. I can only write for like really like you know like specific editors who are like, oh, we get it. Everyone else is just scared. Like even the LA Weekly is like frightened that I'm gonna write about how like Guns N' Roses is masculine and you can't write about that anymore. So that's that's sexist. <laughs> that's sexist. Well, you keep no, look, you you keep writing regardless. It's gonna be found out. So, but I wanted to like, Art, you said your book is still like what a year and a half away, right? My goal is to release it around Chinese democracy 2018 kind of thing, but that's not going to happen. So I think it's going to be probably like middle of or early 2019. And yeah, that's the goal. All right. So then, Kevin, where are you in uh, the process of this, of your of your book? I'd say probably the start of next summer. I'll be in a while. I, I, I could go all Axel here and say as soon as the word. Chinese democracy going to come out? Are we going to see it soon? Um, you'll see it. I don't know if soon's the word. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're, we we're end. We're finishing up nicely, Anna. We're finishing up nicely. Okay. Nice. Uh, my good friend, he's a music journalist as well, Brian Coney. He was a bass player in Cross I Mary with me, so he's... He's helped me kind of iron it out a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the start of next summer, I'll be in well. That's, that's, that's the target anyway. That's awesome. You're going to have to keep us updated. Art, you going to say something? 
yeah, since he's writing about it, real quick, what's your favorite Guns N' Roses song? Do you have one? My favorite song? Uh, it changes all the no. time. No, that's just because of the, the, the fan side of things. It was a good title for the book. But I've, I've always liked Double Talk and Jive now, not so much, but just because it was so Izzy-centric. Um, Great song. I think, I think Rocket Queen, early days, is strange, later days, I, I would say. Yeah. Rocket Queen's my favorite. I'll never forget when I saw them at O2 at, at the Garden with the Buckethead version. Rocket Queen came on. Some drunk nice. guy that looked like uh, Chong, you know, from that 70s show coming on. He's like, oh, I love this song. It's my favorite. I'm like, okay, I want to hear it. Shut up now. Uh, <laughs> well, I, 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 I saw them in London around that time, but I was, I was a bit out of my head. But I think I needed to be for the whole Buckethead thing. It was, it was strange. It was good, but it was strange. So then you've... You've seen that. I was going to ask, uh, have you seen the reunion? They're not in this lifetime reunion. Yeah, I was down at Slane. Um, yeah. Yes. So it, it was a very first one. So it was, it was the first performance of Black Hole Sun. Yes. And then, uh, Tell us about that. Like, um, so what was that, what was that like? When did, were you expecting it? What was the atmosphere like? Uh, because, it, it, it's, you guys will know this, it's the downside to being such a geek about the band. <laughs> uh, someone had posted the night before that they'd sound checked it. Oh, so, yeah. do you it for yourself? Yeah, yeah, I kind of. No spoilers. Yeah, that's that's my rule, man. Totally. Um, totally, but it, what, it was what, amazing. It was amazing at the time. You know, it was it, hairs in the back of your neck kind of stuff, and the lighters came out, and nice. where Slane is is such such a nice setting because it's it's next to an old castle. It's down in a valley, so I saw the pictures. Beautiful. Yeah, and it just. It's absolutely gorgeous around it. So it was just, yeah, it was it was poignant to say the least. That's cool, man. What and about and because it was like what a week after he died, not even. Yeah. yeah. So what about the? Uh, oh, sorry. So. I, no, you go. Sorry. I was just gonna say, what about uh, Axel DC? Because um, they played some UK shows, right? Haven't saw them yet. Uh, I want to. I, I got an Axel DC T-shirt, and nice. all my ACDC loving mates hate it. Wait, is it they the one that? Is it the one that, because I think Ian says it to me first, the one that's like the handicap logo when he broke his no, foot first? No, no, oh. no. It's, it's, it's just like, it's just the AXL and then the lightning strike DC. You oh, know? okay. Because when Axel yeah. broke his leg, uh, you know, when he was still performing, well, when he, that's how we first started with yeah. the Axel DC. I, people would send me a t-shirt. Yeah. Because of me being handicapped with the handicap logo and it says Axel DC and has a little bandana on the, uh, Which the handicap cool, guy. Yeah. yeah, I probably should get that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> You you gave us some uh, some awesome names. Obviously, you met uh, Adler. You've also met Gilby and Duff. Any interactions? Or just like, hey, yeah. me, you know, anything? Uh, you know, any good stories I've, out of that? I've got a good story about Slash. Um, backstage at Download Festival 2010, um, Slash was there with Miles Kennedy and Conspirators. I think he was fourth from headline, and I think we still had Motorhead, Billy Idol, and then Aerosmith were top. But um, I got a backstage pass. I was there with my bandmate from Twisted Rose who had been playing with his other band. So we got artist passes and we were schmoozing backstage and we were like, right, we're going to go up and watch Slash on the side of the stage at Download. So I was like, okay, awesome. So we're standing. Uh, I'm good friends with a couple of the guys in Enough's Enough as well, especially Tori. Nice. Played a few festivals with him. Uh, so we're just waiting for Slash to come out and Slash comes out in the top hat leather trousers all geared up for the stage and I, I don't know if you guys know but here in the UK we use the word slash for you know having a piss you know oh I know that slash. yeah so slash 
because he says they suddenly go up on stage, starts pissing against his dressing room <laughs> with his entourage around him. And I, I didn't even notice. And just my friend nudged me and he goes, man, there's Slash having a fucking Slash. <laughs> and it was just the most, it was the most surreal thing I'd ever seen. But then we walked up on stage and uh, the rest of the conspirators went out, blah, blah, blah. And we were walking to the other side of the stage, so behind the banner. And Slash was obviously going to walk out last. So he's doing the stretches and everything. And it was the first time I'd ever met him. So I had to go over and say hello. And I just went over, shook his hand and said, here, man, have a great show. And then I just realized after shaking his hand, that he just had a piss without <laughs> <laughs> oh. nice. Slash isn't real. Sorry. Sorry. I had South Park talking over you. I I, I have Tourette syndrome. Yeah. Uh yeah, right. I love South Park. I'm going to start using that now. I'm, I'm going to go take a slash. That's, that's, that's what we used to call it that. And then if you were going to take a shit, it was an easy. <laughs> it, it, just, it just became a thing. Okay. okay. Uh, but that's not the official thing. <laughs> no, it's not the official thing. Okay. But yeah, th- th- that was definitely the strangest one. Duff, Duff's like, I, I've met him a couple of times. He's played uh, where my band usually plays in Belfast, I think four times with Loaded. And then another bar we play in Voodoo, he was in there with Walking Papers as well. So he, he's always been kind of cool to just hang out. Um, Gilby, just top guy. I felt really bad for Gilby. Gilby was playing the same shithole that, that Stephen had played the year previous. And I think there was about three people there. Damn. Mm. I've seen shows it, like it, that. It, yeah, it sucked because we, we knew how far he'd came. And uh, all the bands that were supporting were thinking, oh my God, we're, got, we're playing with guy from Guns N' Roses blah 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 and it was just it just worked out bad you know so yeah, yeah. You know, that wasn't good it was kind of sad Stephen uh, well I told you about that first time second time he was even more wasted third time he didn't show up damn man so, yeah that's when he was when he was really bad but yeah Slash has been the most interesting Duff we have a dish over here called Cheesy Champ which is Champs just mashed potato with spring onions through it. It was just the first thing Duff ever said to me. It was like, hey man, what the fuck's cheesy champ? You know what I mean? So it was just, it was kind of odd. But as I said, it's just nice meeting these guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most, most of them are so quiet. Most of them are so down to earth and gentle. Uh, Rudy Sarzo was playing bass for, for Tracy when he was here. Nice, from Qu- uh, Quiet was, Riot, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, White Snake, Ozzy Osbourne. He's yeah, he's in yeah. a good few bands. Yeah, and uh, it, it, he's like the most quiet down to earth guy. He only drinks ginger ale, you know. Huh. He, he doesn't drink alcohol, anything like that. So he, a lot of the time, it's just nice spending time with them, you know. Uh, yeah. Again, when it comes to the guns, guys, I just badger them and try and get info about Izzy. I even talked to Gilby about Izzy. That's that's how terrible it is. Oh wow. Uh-huh. You know? Did, what was that? Do you remember that conversation? Like, I'm, I'm curious uh, what the replacement would say of Izzy. Uh, but it, it, just that, you know, that he, he's always known Izzy. He's known him since well before GNR because they used to talk about the faces and things like that. And just, just loved a lot of the same bands, which I think had a lot to do with the fact that, that he was asked but to join GNR. But he obviously went down a different track with Kills for Thrills and stuff. And then... I think after that, we just ended up talking about guitars because I was surprised they brought us Zemitis, which is like practically a priceless, priceless guitar to a shithole in Belfast. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're touring with that. So it quickly changed. But again, just across the board, all of them have so much respect for for Izzy. Uh, yeah. 
I didn't have a good conversation with Slash. So I don't know the the crack on that one, but in terms of Gilby, Tracy, and Stephen, they, they couldn't speak higher of the guy. Uh, they were talking about him like you know it, it was their brother and, and they love him, and they obviously seem to really, really look up to him as a musician and a person. So it's cool to know that we have people listening, you know, just worldwide, different continents. It, it means a lot, and it was great having you on. So you could follow Kevin on Twitter at Sir Kev P. And then I guess the last thing is, I mean, if other people in your area are listening, what's the name of your guitar shop? Uh, it's called the Boneyard Guitar Workshop. Uh, it's on the High Street in Hollywood, which is just outside Belfast. And from what you've oh, said, yeah. it's like a lot of rock and roll memorabilia all over the place. He plays the podcast in his shop, right? Yeah, I play the podcast in the shop. <laughs> I always post it when I do. Nice. So, so I yeah, po- the guys, guys come in, we'll have a coffee after hours, have a few beers and a few jams. But yeah, it's covered in... Framed Izzy Shadlin and GNR kind of stuff, and yeah, it's just it's, it's a wee it's a GNR museum basically. Badass. It's a guitar shop. Oh, that's amazing. But yeah, it's just, I mean, this makes it's my home away from home. I don't want this to be an, an empty gesture, but if I'm ever there, I would love to uh, go. And obviously, if you're ever, you know, if you want to visit your Brooklyn roots, uh, you're you're more than welcome to come because this is a uh, this is cool. We want to talk yeah, to more people. More than welcome. Yeah, cool. Uh, I want to get more stories out there, you know, you going from what you went through as a childhood to, you know, I consider you successful, what you're doing. You're doing what you love. Uh, so definitely keep in touch and uh, just keep us up to date with the book. I can't wait to uh, to read it when it eventually comes out. Yeah, and thanks very much, guys, for having me on. I really, really enjoy the podcast and to Art as well. I think what you're doing is fantastic, and I can't wait to read the first real GNR book. I thought the, the article was, was absolutely amazing. So, kudos, bro. Oh, thank, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that so much. I can't wait to read yours as well. Group hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, thanks, Kevin. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. I'll see you later. Cheers, dude. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. Awesome having Kevin on. Um, you know, he mentioned enough's enough, so I was going to bring this up. I, mm-hmm. I actually just scribbled it down as we were uh, talking as something I could mention during the outro. I told you, I don't know if you saw this art. This was kind of weird. Um, and okay. when I was on Facebook the other day, it was probably a week, week ago or so at this point. But uh, enough's uh, no, Stephen Adler did a Facebook live and Adler does a bunch of stuff with enough's enough. So I'm watching the Stephen Adler Facebook live. I'm wondering what it is. And it's enough's enough playing some festival because uh, it's a pretty big crowd. They're playing some like outdoor uh, place, and it's them playing their last song. And they're like, "Thank you, you've been great, and everything." And Chips Enough is leaving the stage, and the guy filming the Facebook Live for Adler says to Chips Enough, "He's like, what about Steven? Because you can tell it's coming from the guy filming." And Chip <laughs> says, uh, "He's like, they wouldn't let us do it, man. We had to wrap up." And then right after that, they deleted the Facebook Live. So I was like, fuck. So I guess mm. Steven Adler was supposed to go on stage and play drums with them, and it never happened because he's been known to do that from time to time. Oh, so shit. Yeah, so just a little tidbit of information there, but it was definitely kind of weird. I, I, like, right after it happened, I noticed they deleted the Facebook Live, so something went wrong. I always like these yeah, I had no idea. These random Facebook Lives that pop up, like when I saw that Sebastian Bach Live that came up when he was saying that Axel is writing an autobiography. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that just happened to be a... Okay, it's, uh, Sebastian's writing books. You know, he's pretty funny. Let me just watch him. And it's just... Uh, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So, uh, all right, I want to know what's, what's going on uh, more with you because you said the book's still going to be a little bit... Are you collecting more details you're doing more research for it or is it just prioritizing time so like what's uh 
What's yeah, that? man. I'm all, I'm always doing research on it. I'm always talking to people. I'm always doing shit about GNR. But right now, for the last few months, it's really been just these stories I'm doing for Playboy. Um, did a story on the mostly political stuff. I did a story on Milo Yiannopoulos that's coming out probably next week. I'm doing probably an interview with somebody I can't really name right now, but it's not GNR related. It's just a big political person, probably for Playboy. And then from there, after that's all done, I have to focus on the book um, pretty much 100%. I didn't want to, like, the thing about the book is it's going to be very, it's very gonzo. It's kind of like, it's pretty much the Izzy Stradlin article, but as a book. And it's going to be, you know, GNR history, but me trying to go down the route of GNR history, like physically going to the locations, physically talking to people, physically like archiving yeah. actual information. It's not going to be like, I'm not going to sit there and read a bunch of books about GNR. Yeah. I still met Izzy Stradlin in 1979 at a fucking book. I don't care. Like, I no agree. one cares about that shit anymore. So it's yeah. like, I want to do, the Izzy Stradlin article was cool because in that article I counted, there's about like eight or nine tidbits that had never been written about before. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what I hope to try to accomplish. Yeah. And then I hope to have in the same process, like, just completely shit all over people like Mick Wall and like these <laughs> bastards who've like really ruined, ruined Gnar's legacy and written stuff that's not true, but beyond written stuff that's not true, really done like a real hatchet job of their history and really cheapened this band. Like this band could have been Led Zeppelin in the history books, like the perception of them could have been Led Zeppelin because the stuff about them is really, the real story is really fucking cool and interesting. It's really, it's about the music, you know, and these, and these fucking guys, all they wrote about was, Axel Rose is a psycho and he fucking, you know, doesn't go to shows on time and he made up and they make up all these quotes and they just, it's just fucking horrible. So that's kind of, that's pretty much it in the process. I'll probably be doing a lot more political writing because I see no reason to write about indie music anymore or really write about music anymore. If it's not GNR. I, um, but we're okay with that. Yeah, and I, I <laughs> you know, from the article that you did about Izzy, you do have a really unique style, and you do go out there and do the hands-on stuff that you're talking about. Um, it's almost like I sent you the article, and this is more relevant now than it has been in years, uh, which Brandon knows, but I sent you the article that Rolling Stone did on Vinnie Vincent from Kiss, and your Izzy mm. article was really similar to that, because that guy went out there, you know, he got into the history of yeah. Vinnie Vincent, but he also got interviews from guys like Mark Slaughter and, you know, talked to people where his house is located in Connecticut and, you know, his other house in Smyrna, Tennessee. Like, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. what makes a good journalist. I agree. This guy didn't go out there and, and rehash old quotes from Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons about Vinnie Vincent. So, yeah, and, and the reason I say it's more relevant today than it's been in years is basically that, uh, you know, for the cross-section of people who listen to this show and also like KISS, Vinnie yeah. Vincent is going to be at the Atlanta KISS Expo in January, and this is the first public appearance he's making anywhere since, I believe, like 1998. Like, he hasn't been seen wow. publicly at all since then. So this is an insanely epic event. Maybe Just the fact that he's going to be maybe there. Maybe Vinny's going to start a supergroup with uh, Izzy. You know, <laughs> the, the people who you've never seen before or something catchier. Been, still been <laughs> something seen, catchier, though. <laughs> Izzy's been seen a little bit more, though, when you think about it, because every now and again, Izzy will have a YouTube video. He'll put out an album. Oh, or something. Uh, he'll at least put out a tweet. Like, Vinny Vincent has done nothing <laughs> since 1998, I think it was. If you really look into the history of it, he, like, he is the only guy who's more of a mystery than Izzy. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that piece you sent me, and, and it, I agree. I think that's that's the only thing you can do when it comes to these kind of people now. At this point, is to 
archive their history, go to their hometowns, talk to their friends and family, understand their psychology, dig into their music and their craft, as opposed to the whole like biography, the whole biography stuff, you know, point A to point B stuff is really boring. Yeah. But also it's like, even that's been fucked up. Like I was, re- I was reading Rolling Stone's bio on GNR. Like they're just their, their bio on their website, you know, of GNR. You'd think it'd be accurate, but I read it. It's like, there's like literally big giant, like glaring mistakes that anybody who knows anything about GNR would have caught. Like, for example, Guns, like Welcome to the Jungle was never a number one hit. Everybody knows that. Every GNR fan knows that. Every novice music critic knows that. But it's on the fucking RollingStone.com bio on GNR. It says Welcome to the Jungle was a number one hit in 1987, which is complete bullshit. It was never a number one hit. So it's like stuff like that. Yeah. I think the archival information from the various magazines and the books, I think that's also important. Mm-hmm. I think no one's really done that. And I'm giving too much away. I think it's not some idiot's going to write that book. <laughs> like, like some feminist or like pitchfork's going to write a book about GNR. Like, <laughs> like, it's going to be like my nightmares. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night one day with a phone call from like Alan Niven. Hey, hey mate, you hear about the, and I'm going to be like, Splitting my wrists in bed. Oh, so, no, Christ. <laughs> let's not talk about this anymore. <laughs> no, maybe in in the future because we're gonna have obviously Art. You're one of our uh, you know our our bad apples. Sorry, I'm an idiot. Uh, that I I want you to maybe have like a feature on the show going forward. Like it's just like Art's rant where you're just like a rant for like a minute and just go off or whatever. That could be interesting. I don't know. I get in trouble for these, man. The reason I like podcasts is. You know, people will listen to it, but they're too lazy to, like, you know, like, transcribe it and then post it on Facebook or something. The thing I've noticed about podcasts is people are too lazy now to expose something you say as, quote-unquote, problematic when you're on a radio show or a podcast. So I you never know, though, man. There's the, With uh, my other podcast, SoftRep, we have this guy, Corey Alanis, on pretty often who's a computer right. hacker, and he's he's gone to, like, these hacking conventions in Vegas. He's, like, a hacker for the U.S. government. And someone transcribed like a giant quote that he said <laughs> and tweeted it to me. You know, they like put it in a in a picture, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like people are really into this if they're transcribing like well, paragraphs of information. I was surprised when we did the, the Dave Kushner interview. All the yeah, outlets that, that picked, picked it up, up they yeah. transcribed that as well. So I mean, there's somebody doing it, or yeah. they just ask Siri, and Siri does it, or whatever. <laughs> I guess you never know. Uh, Whatever you want to do, Art. Obviously, you're you're uh, you're always welcome on this show. Uh, this is speed this up, is speed up the audio or something. Just speed no, it up. It's like a chipmunk, and nobody can transcribe it. No, this is your safe space. This is everyone's safe space. So you guys need to hear just my like random thought. You guys need to do an episode. You guys need to do more episodes on like subjects. Like do do an episode on one in a million or whatever, and just like have really you need a, like a you need an episode where somebody says something that's so outrageous that everyone's talking about it and yeah. it becomes like complete con- like it's like well this oh is coming from a guy who's <laughs> doing a piece on Milo right. Yiannopoulos so right. well, that's kind of what he's known to do and Ian did once <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I talk about one in a million I'll defend one in a million any fucking <laughs> okay, I'll be like I'll be the fucking white the quote unquote white supremacist I'm not at all man. I'll be that guy because I love that song I think that song's awesome I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks we've, about we've, it alright we've spoken about uh, one in a million a ton I love that tune you yeah. know uh, yeah. I mean it's the lyrics it's a character I've, I think I've compared it to uh, you know Tom Sawyer there's certain words in there that you just need for effect. But, I mean, as far as controversial, I think maybe it was when Ian uh, said that he believes a Buckethead suffers from autism. 
Yeah, he, there's probably something <laughs> going on. Do you remember when you said that? Yeah, I yeah, do. That's awesome. Uh, so, I mean, you, you know, never, never know. Oh, but, but my point, oh, I didn't see it as a negative thing. I mean, no, he's, you know. No, I know. It's just, it was an interesting um, uh, observation. But the, but the point being, you know, I'm going on uh, GNR Forum and just getting, uh, they were talking about the Raz, that's where I was going, the Raz Q uh, episode and why Raz, I asked him why he put out his book in addition to his his story you know, as being paralyzed at 15 and managing LA guns at 19 is, uh, is to get rid of the fake facts. Like that's what Raz right. was like, I, you know, I, I'm reading all these things that I'm like, that did not happen, you know, and that's ridiculous. No more, no more alternative, alternative facts on GNR need to go away. Right. And it's the same thing you just said, Art. So it's good to see like Raz got his books out, uh, book out there. Well, books, because he has one about a weed bus, uh, but book, GNR book. And it's the same thing that you're you're doing, Art, is getting, that's what it should be. You're always going on, on Twitter, yeah. uh, follow Art Devana, but t- saying, where, you know, where's journalism gone? You know, and it yeah, always makes me over. think of. There's no journalism anymore. No, I feel like uh, Guns N' Roses need to make another get in the ring and then, and, and, you know, start naming more people. So that's kind of what I would like to see. And they seem to. Well, I mean, if, that, yeah. if there is, if there's, if there's any truth to Axel Rose autobiography, probably I'm guessing written by Del James or somebody. If there's any truth to it, you know, that'll uh, be fucking. That'll be very controversial, and we'll be we'll have a lot to talk about for like ten years. Did so. you? Did you? Uh, did I? I don't know. I forget because you you've been on so often, Art. Uh, did you hear the quote? Uh, what Baz said about Axel's book? No, uh, I didn't hear it, but I heard. I, heard I can play it for you right now right. if you want. Go for it, please. I have the power. One person says you should tell Axel to start writing his memoir. He already did. Have you read it? No. But I, <laughs> Is it locked away? No, but I remember when I was on tour with him in 2010, I was like, I'm going to start writing a book, dude. <laughs> <laughs> because have you started yet? I go, well, I got, you know, I, you know chapter two. <laughs> <I> go, <laughs> If you start writing yours, he goes, yeah, I got like 40,000 words. Or some, oh, some, wow. some crazy number. But who knows if it'll ever come out. Who knows? So they, of course, that's where uh, you have to say, I don't know if it's ever going to come out. <laughs> but so, yeah, there's from the Baz's mouth. He has some stuff written down. Some. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that doesn't mean shit. That's just, that's, <laughs> yeah. We're never, we're never going to see a book. So b- before we get out of here, of course, follow Art on Twitter at Artavana, uh, Artavana.com, uh, right? Yeah, Artavana.com. And then I just saw you started a Patreon, Patreon.com slash Artavana. Yeah, I got a Patreon. I got a PayPal. I just did it because I figured at some point in you know, the next few months, people would just decide to give me money randomly. So <laughs> I mean, like, it's like... It's there. If you like my articles, if you like what I do, send me money. I have to also say the Izzy Stradlin article I wrote, I went in debt for that article. Um, I got paid $200 for that article. I probably spent like 800 on it. So that's the kind of that's kind of problem of being who I am is I spend more money on the, the articles I write than I make. Well, I feel like um, if you're going to do a Patreon, because I did look at it, you got to put some some cool perks there. Because I, I yeah, have... Whatever. I have donated to people on Patreon, but there's been like cool perks along with it. Like I think you should do, I don't know, man, do like a weekly YouTube video for Patreon subscribers or something. I would like I'd, a blow job, like a blow job for somebody if they give me five thousand dollars. Like, yeah, like I don't throw that on there. I think you should. I, I can't. I can't. There's nothing for me to <laughs> give people. There's nothing I can give somebody except journalism that's honest and brutal and like not controlled by the left or right wing and yeah but i think what you could do, your you heart could do, uh, and your you, love and affection in all seriousness you could do like youtube um update videos of of what you're up to for patreon subscribers i think people yeah. would just something small like that 
Yeah, I thought about doing. I, th- I thought about doing more periscoping because every time I do stuff like that, people really like it and like it's kind of cool. But I found that I'm a better writer than I'm a talker. And when I talk, I tend to say things that, when I look at it later, it's kind of like, holy shit, that was way too honest. Like I should have just kept that underneath my like, you know, that's just something you don't put out there because everyone's going to use that against you in two years when you like run for office. Someone's going to say, oh, yeah, he's yeah, he defended blah 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 on some podcast in 1986. Like, stupid pathetic losers out there who want to like destroy you <laughs> well art currently so has we we always have been like around the same amount of followers art has 11 more followers than me currently <sighs> but you guys but you're also me. following way more people than me so the ratio yeah, yeah. oh yeah. i'm not even good at twitter i just go on there and just say i just pretty much I've, i stopped doing facebook so now my twitter is just i post way more on twitter than i used to and I, facebook is dead i'm never yeah. doing it again instagram is done never doing it again snapchat is for a bunch of 13 year old girls who you know <laughs> i have nothing to say to or think about anymore in my life and you know tumblers for these fucking losers who want to spend 45 hours talking about drake's cats or like, how, like you know drinking milk is misogynistic or something. yo you know what i will say though actually before we wrap up um with the whole social media thing because i know we always go on on these different uh rants here but, it's distortion. It's yeah, what we do. I, I, Drinking milk is racist. <laughs> I kind of hate the social media thing, too. But Twitter also is, like, getting way too political with what they're highlighting, like, towards the left. Yeah. Have you seen that art? Yeah, fuck Twitter. They, they, they're they completely run by a bunch of leftists. Yeah, well, the most you know, recent whatever. example of this I saw, to be honest. All right, this pissed me off, so I got to mention it. Uh, and it's not Guns N' Roses related, but it's music related. So I don't know if you saw that John Mayer tweeted out. He was like, I spend way too much time oh, yeah. thinking about if Nicki Minaj would like me. So then Nicki Minaj tweeted back to him, uh, would my body be your wonderland? And then John Mayer was like, you know, at Nicki Minaj, he was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And this is not my full reply. I I need to like... Uh, process this which I thought was you know it was cute it was funny and then some yeah. fucking like NPR journalist I think it was I don't even remember who do you know where I'm going Art it was a it was a it was a girl and I won't talk about her too much because I tweeted at her and I think she got offended by it but she wrote fuck her though yeah I think yeah so this UK some UK journalist so yeah. this fucking woman rehashes a quote that John Mayer said in a Playboy interview, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, he made a statement about him only being into white women. And he said, he was like, I'm all for everybody. He was like, I'm very much diverse in my friendship and all that. He was like, but my dick is like David Duke. It's only into white oh, women. Wow, that's so, funny. But here's the thing. He said it like yeah. 10 years ago. He got some heat right. for it. And I remember he went on stage and he was like, look. It was a completely out of line thing to say, uh, you know, I, and he was up there with black band members and he's like, that is not how I feel. It came out wrong and I deeply mm-hmm. apologize. And I think everybody took it as an apology and got over it. It was meant to be a funny comment, but to some people it wasn't funny. So then this fucking woman on Twitter rehashes. She was ah. like, this is why this flirting between Nicki Minaj and John Mayer is not OK, because he made this yeah. comment to Playboy magazine 10 years ago. And uh, John Mayer is never going to know what it's like to, you know, to have to live as a minority in the United States. It was like, come on. It was a fucking innocent flirting thing. On Twitter, and, nothing and, has to do with anything. And either. so I hope that someone finds something this woman said that was offensive 10 years ago and bites her in the ass with it because that's just fucked up. Well, I don't like when people do again, that. Again, that's well, to make it back to GNR. That's just the interesting part of all their social media. Slash is the best to follow because he just tweets ridiculous shit yeah 
Uh, you know, Duff doesn't get political, usually family things, all of that. But if you follow Richard, if you follow Del James, of course, you know, you're going to get into a Twitter fight. I mean, that, that's just the world that we uh, we live in. Well, you know, the, the one thing about the John Mayer thing is, and this goes back to Guns N' Roses and Axl Rose and One in a Million and everything. It's like, if you were at a certain point in your life, like John Mayer was high on drugs. He was going through manic depression. He's talked about this. He was fucked up. He was going through a breakup. He's literally at the point of thinking about killing himself. And then a fucking reporter said, let's do an interview. The guy's fucked up out of his mind. He's on the verge of having a mental breakout. And he said some really stupid shit that was objectively really fucking stupid. And then he fucking regretted it. He said, he said I'm sorry. A fucking decade later, a decade later, he's being basically told by the Internet that he can't be attracted to a black girl. Like, yeah. he's no longer allowed to flirt with a black woman on social media, or publicly or privately. He is now excluded from the right of being able to have fun on social media with another, like, celebrity who happens to be an African-American. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Like, leave the guy alone. It's a joke. And, this, and the girl who wrote it, I think she parlayed that into, like, a, a think piece. She probably got, like, 25,000 more followers on Yeah, Twitter. I noticed that. She didn't have a big following. So it was like, yeah. this is just someone who sure. wants to be famous and if you're going to tell me that in 10 years you never made any statement that you regretted, then I don't know. I don't know what to say because I think all of us have made some statement that we regretted oh, within 10 years. I and, just did probably five minutes ago. Yeah, and, he, <laughs> and he, he apologized for it. So I, that's the one thing I do hate about the internet, man. And and so that, that pissed me off about Twitter because Twitter highlighted this woman's tweet and made a big story out of it. And to me, the bigger story was like Nicki Minaj and John Mayer kind of flirting on Twitter. Will there be and, a sex tape? Yeah, and, and now, you know, this is, because I, I think it would be cool for them if they hooked up or something, <laughs> but now the internet says that's not allowed because he said something offensive 10 years ago. I thought it was hot. I was like, when I, when I first saw it, I was like, man, this is hot. Like, the thought of John Mayer, who objectively is a beautiful man, the thought of Nicki Minaj, who's objectively a beautiful woman, yeah, like, having her like, going on a date was, like, to me, like, this is beautiful. And then this fucking rodent <laughs> in the UK, this poor, pathetic, disgusting human being, spends five hours thinking about an entire Twitter rant, complicated, complex Twitter rant about white privilege and growing up as a white male in America and what that means about his... It, dude, he just fucking tweeted about a girl that he thought was really cool and probably thought her music was awesome and maybe thought he was, she was hot. You know, all he said was, I wonder what, what she thinks about me. He didn't yeah. say anything even remotely sexual. That's the funny part. Hey, well, he, I will caveat the uh, the beautiful woman thing because I'll, I'll tell you this, man. I did yeah. see Nicki Minaj in the hallways at Sirius XM and like, you know, mm -hmm. first of all, she's got a shitload of plastic surgery. So, you know, either you're into sure, that sure. or you're not, because that's not what she looked like before. But, you know, the fake tits, cool. Uh, I'm into yeah. it. But, dude, that fake ass, it is, if you oh, see God. it in person, it just looks absurd because she's a yeah, tiny no. little girl with like the biggest ass I've ever seen in my life. And I'm going off her face. I'm going off the only thing I've ever yeah. seen is that she has a really pretty face. And I think she's attractive. I don't, I don't I say this, though. I don't say this as a joke. This is truly what happened. There are two times I've been call screening a show uh, at Sirius, and I dropped the phone and said, holy shit. All right. One of them was when there was the New York City earthquake that happened. Okay. All right. That's the crazy. other was when Nicki Minaj walked by and I saw just how huge her ass is in in proportion to her body. It's it's amazing. ridiculous, dude. It, so, I, yeah, the face is Love nice. It. I agree. But like, if you saw this thing in person, uh, it's 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 bizarre. It's really bizarre is the only way yeah, I can describe she, it. Well, she's, a, she's, look, she's probably a little bit of a freak show. 
so yeah. probably every celebrity who's had work done or whatever. But and, and then it's just like you know, it's happened with Axel Rose one in a million. He wrote a song. He just you know he thought it was kind of. He probably regrets what he said in that song, sure. even though I don't think he. Sh- I don't think he should. Well, it's I- not even just the song though, Art. It's like he's done interviews, and I've watched from that era, and he'll just say the the N word with the hard R, not in a derogatory word, but just saying this is like a very conversationally. You know, this is I experienced right. this and this and this. So I mean, that's out there. But even if he's using conversationally uh, just as a word, I mean, that's that's out there. People. Uh, yeah. Who's the uh, comedian we were talking about? That uh, Andre, Eric Andre. Oh yeah, yeah. You remember right. Eric Andre assumes that Guns N' Roses is racist because of that song, even, mm-hmm. if, even though Slash is half yeah, well, black you know, and I Frank Farr. I, I, I had a little Twitter fight with Talib Kweli, the, the right. rapper no one gives a shit about anymore um, on Twitter, who's just become like this wacko troll on Twitter because he can't release a mixtape anybody would care about. <laughs> and then he fucking he went on my bio and he thought that I was Gene R fan, and he went and pulled up the One in a Million lyrics and he pasted it on Twitter and said, "Oh, here we go. Not surprised. You know, you're you're a fan of this band." Ha, ha. Like, the insinuation is that fans of Guns N' Roses are racist. Guns N' Roses is racist. Axl Roses are racist. Just because he wrote a song, um, 1989, which my math sucks, which is like 30 years ago or whatever, <laughs> and the song had a few words in it that was offensive. If these fucking idiots won't let it go, they wouldn't, they'll never let it go. Even if, you know, Axl Rose is probably the most, honestly, I'm, he's probably the most liberal guy from that era that's still playing music right now. Probably, like, honestly, he probably mm. is. Like, he's probably the most left person from that era that's playing music right now. Because most of those guys are kind of, kind of, slightly, vaguely right wing. Yeah. Uh, well, Nikki Six is pretty. Left. Nikki Six is pretty liberal. Yeah. So is Tommy Lee. Um, although, that you know, you could find oh, okay. shit on fair, them. There's, you know, you could find a video on YouTube where they use the N word at some black security guard. And like, the point being, though. Everybody has things they've said that they regretted, sure. and I think it, it, I just don't like the fact that man, Twitter has become just you know this jury. Of, it, it just oh. yeah, it pisses me off. I, I I really don't like it. So that's why I brought that up. And uh, <laughs> John Mayer actually seems like a cool guy. I think and excellent guitar player. I mean, I think we know of him as like this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we we think of him as this like celebrity and the, your body is a wonderland type songs and all that. But mm. his guitar playing is. Is excellent. Well, so. he's part of the Grateful Dead now, so. He is? Well, he's fronting Dead and Company. I had no idea of that. Oh, really? It's been going on for a while. Okay. I'm going to say something. Let me, let me just end with saying something very racist. He's like the white Jimi Hendrix. There you go. <laughs> I said, uh, I don't consider that. I know what you mean by, like, that's what you think that's racist or other people will that. I mean, that's an interesting. Because he was up there in the top 500 guitarists of all time in Rolling Stone. Nice. But you know what? I shouldn't even use that because I don't even think they had Slash on that. So they can go fuck themselves. Bullshit. Yeah, they can go fuck themselves. Uh, Rolling Stone fucking things. That's true. But, uh, Art, you're you're awesome. I'm so glad you uh, you came on again. You're obviously always welcome, and I won't play the sound clip again. Uh, <laughs> you're one of our, our bad apples. <laughs> and uh, as always, follow us at the AFD show. Uh, follow Brando at Belviv Brando. I'm gonna plug my Twitter at Ian Scotto because I'm gonna I'm starting to like think of other things I want to work on outside of what I'm already working on. So follow me at Ian Scotto. Um, and Facebook, of course, the AFD show or, you know, facebook.com slash the AFD show or just look up appetite for distortion. And I think that's it. Yeah. Man. We've covered a lot of ground today. Yeah. A lot of, uh, ideas for upcoming episodes. I just spoke to uh, a radio friend of mine, Joe rock, who just saw guns N' roses for the first time since 1980 down in the show. They just did in Texas, not to be confused with kid Joe from kid or the, what was his name? Um, 
was it the kid Joe from Kid Rock? Remember the, uh, Joe the C? little person? Joe yes, C. Joe C. Rest in That's peace. who I think of when I hear Joe Rock. I think okay. of Joe C from Kid Rock. All right. Well, you're the only one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I, I'll get him on. He's got some uh, great stories. He plays often with Mark Mendoza from Twisted Sister. Uh, a lot of great ideas you're giving us on GNR Forum. So, yeah. Uh, anything else, my dear Ian? <laughs> Uh, no, that's it. I think we we plugged it all. Plugged what about away. what about you, Sweet Cheeks Art? Anything else you want to add? No, I just think like let's do, let's do an episode on a specific gene art topic and just like riff on it and like do our like you do like, like oh, okay you do you do okay let's, okay fine then do one that's like really sick and bring me on and I can talk about then it and like make it you know we'll do that then if you want uh, we can do. No, send me ideas. That's what I want. You know, I want to have in addition to saying, "Yeah, I really like this song. I really like this band." We get yeah, as long as you can expand upon it. Uh, conversations, yeah, no, which we do. We've spoken about one in a million. We talk. We've spoken about. Uh, we have an episode entitled "Politics in Roses." Uh, so I mean, you know, there's a lot of. If this is the first time you're finding us. Look back at our catalog on iHeart or uh, Apple Podcasts, and we have a lot of uh, not just guests, but uh, interesting topics that we cover concerning this wonderful band yeah. that we all appreciate. I, I agree. Oh, the one last thing I was going to say, because I told you this you before, we, before we recorded, um, I'm very often saying on this show that there's no good rock music. Like oh, Everything right, I right, like right. is from like five, ten years ago. Um, believe it or not, because I, I'm not being paid to say this, I just like them. So everybody should check out the drummer from Kitty is in a new band that she's fronting called the White Swan. They're like a Canadian doom metal type band. They are fucking awesome. Uh, the White, White Swan. Swan. Yeah, they sound like Black Sabbath meets like Alice in Chains wow. meets Down wow. meets Deftones with a female front woman. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna Google it right now. Or Google you would dig right them, man. They're great. They're great. Maybe we'll do oh, some uh, AFD picks for our fellow uh, GNR fans. Yeah, and I love. <laughs> and uh, the next time I I, I see or uh, talk to you guys, I will have seen Danzig because I'm seeing Danzig tomorrow. Your oh, nice. Mother. So I haven't seen. Uh, so that that's gonna be cool. So uh, if that's it, thanks for listening to the AFD show. When. Will we be back? So to borrow a phrase from Axl Rose to Kurt Loder concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto, dissecting all things Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. security, I'm going home.